Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning, City Light. How are y'all doing this morning? Uh, great job, Ethan. Crushed it on the scripture reading. We have, a, we have rhythms around here uh, that we call Family Sundays, where every fifth Sunday, all the kiddos join us, and uh, the last Sunday of every month, the elementary kids join us. And it's just an awesome reminder that uh, the kids up in the CLK space, uh, they are part of our church too. And, and when they come down, they bring just a life and an energy and a vitality uh, that we need, us old fogies. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's also just an opportunity for us to model for them what it looks like to worship Jesus. So it's always a, always a fun time to have the kiddos involved in what we're doing. So uh, my name's Kenan again. Like I said, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, uh, it's my privilege to continue our sermon series that we called transformed. This is a whole series about basically how do we change? Like there's things in our lives that we all would like to see changed and maybe we've tried our hand at changing this or changing that, but we don't always see as much change as we would like to see. And so over the past few weeks, we've talked about, first we started off and talked about how like we're all broken. There's all things in all of us that we wish we could change, ways that we could become more like Jesus. And then uh, we talked about the process of repentance. How is it that we turn away from those things and turn to Jesus? And then last week, Chuck, Chuck talked about the importance of identity and basing our identity in the person of Jesus. And this week, we're hitting on a topic uh, that kind of dives a little deeper. It dives under the surface of our sin. Today, we're talking about the roots of our brokenness. Today, we are talking about plants. And, and my wife has been trying her hand at planting some flowers in some flower pots uh, ever since Mother's Day. And let me tell you, it's not pretty. We've had some casualties. But luckily, I'm not teaching you how to plant. I'm simply using Jesus' analogy of fruit and roots to point out a truth about our lives. A truth about our walk with God. Basically, what Jesus is letting us know in Luke 6 is that the fruit is determined by the root. Fruit is determined by the root. Or to put it another way, our words and actions are often just the uh, reality or uh, the fruit of a reality that lies within our hearts and minds. Say it a different way. Our behavior is determined by our beliefs. The things we say and do are just the outworking of these deeply held beliefs that we hold about ourselves about others, and about God. Our fruit is determined by the root. Our behavior is determined by our beliefs. That's what Jesus is pointing out in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Let's read it one more time. For no good tree bears bad fruit, 
Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus is making a really, really simple, simple uh, point here. The fruits of your life are no accident. <laughs> the fruits of your life are no accident because your behavior is determined by your beliefs. Fruit is determined by the root. So I found a quote this week that said it this way. That every system is perfectly designed to get the results that you are currently experiencing. So your life, the, what you are currently experiencing, everything you've experienced in your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you are currently getting. Translation, the fruit of your life is no accident. Like Jesus said, you can tell a tree by its fruit. So then the, the question is for us is like, okay, look at the tree of your life, so to speak. What are the fruits that you see? And if you're like me, you see a lot of great fruits, a lot of really godly fruit that we see like in Galatians 5. Uh, Galatians 5, through 23 tells us, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Like the fruit of the Spirit of those who are in Christ are love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And if you're following Jesus, I hope that when you look at the tree of your life, you see a lot of those things. I hope that your character is being produced in a way to where you are honoring God. But if we're all truly honest with ourselves, we know that there are some fruits on our tree that we aren't so proud of. Fruits that we wish we could pick off. Fruits we wish would have never grown in the first place. So when those things show up in your life, like when your anger gets stirred up, when lust takes over, when you can't stop with just one, when you speak harshly against somebody, we want and we need to stop those behaviors. But you have to realize that they are not an accident. Oftentimes, the bad fruit in your life stems from something much deeper in our souls that needs to be addressed. And just like you can't go uh, pick a fruit from a tree and expect a different fruit to go in its place, or just like when you weed a garden, you don't just snip off the top of the weeds, you have to unearth the roots, get down to the real problem and dig that up. The same goes for sin. You have to dig underneath the outward facing sin and unearth the brokenness deep within you. You have to uproot it. As a, as a younger, less wise man, I was in a conversation about this very topic. I was talking with someone about like, what is a helpful sermon? How should you preach on Sunday mornings? Just the the idea of what does it look like to preach on Sunday morning? We were, we were using the example of prayer, and I said, you know. On Sunday mornings, what people don't need is just a reminder to pray. Because you know what? If I came up here and said, guys, you really need to pray more, 
We all already know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You don't need me to tell you that you should be more generous. You don't need me to tell you that you probably shouldn't be visiting that website. You don't need me to be telling you all those things. You already know that. So if me simply coming and reminding you were the answer to your problems, it'd be fixed and finished. And so I was explaining this to this guy, and I said, man, like what we need is not simply to remind people to do godly things. We need a change of their hearts. And so he, he came back with it. Yeah, but like, he used the, this example. He said, well, you know, I put a reminder on my calendar every month to call my mom. Does that mean I don't love her? I said, no, reminders are good. But what that reminder does tell me that you love what you're doing more than you love your mom, or else you wouldn't need the reminder. Like, think back to, like, when you first fell in love. Like, you sacrifice to do the things you love. And so when we look at our sin and we look at these things that we wish we could change, these things that we've tried over and over and over to get better, to work harder at, to look more like Jesus, we need more than a reminder. We need our affections changed. We need to fall more in love with Jesus. And get down to the root of our sin and get rid of it. It isn't until we're able to get rid of the roots of our sin. And fall more in love with Jesus will our sin actually be overcome. So, so often we fail in our attempts to change because we focus on the fruit of our sin and not the root of it. We think if we just remind ourselves enough, if we get that website blocker, whatever it is, then everything's going to be changed. But let me tell you, it doesn't fix the heart problem. Those things are all great, but it doesn't actually change your affections. It doesn't change you from the inside out. And we have to dig beneath the surface and ask the question of like, what is driving this behavior? Like, what belief about myself, what belief about God is behind this sin that I'm continually struggling with? The only way we can overcome our sin is to identify the roots and to pull them out. This is hard, painful, toilsome work. Yet it's ultimately a life-giving work. By unearthing the roots of our sin, the fruit of the Spirit is able to grow all the more. Just like if you're a gardener, you know that pulling out those weeds causes your garden to flourish. In the same way, when we pull out the root of the sin in our life, the fruit of the, of the Spirit will flourish and grow. And so when we get into these sins that we continually struggle with, we have to, uh, to uh, pray that God would reveal to us what is causing this sin. We have to do some self-reflection. Get professional help if you need it. Truly, deeply ask yourself, like, what is the root of this sin? Like, when I do X, what am I trying to accomplish? When I say Y, what feeling do I gain? What do I... When I have that attitude, what am I fearing? Like, what is the root of my sin? Where did this sin come from? Like, when did I first feel this way? What, what does this habit give me that I don't have otherwise? There's a really helpful source that 
uh, can help you get down to the root of some of those things. It's written by a, a Christian counselor named David Paulison. You can look it up online. David Paulison. It's called X-ray questions. And what these questions do is that you can ask them to yourself or you can ask them to each other. They are questions aimed at figuring out what the root of a sinful or destructive behavior is. They are questions like, when you are fearful, discouraged, and upset, where do you run? What do you think you really need? What are your plans, agendas, strategies designed to accomplish? What, when it's interrupted, causes you to despair? What, if you lost it, would cause you not to want to live anymore and why? There are dozens more. But asking these questions of yourself and one another are aimed at illuminating the deep and abiding brokenness in you that is causing the outward sin. And so, like, let's just give like a simple example. Let's say you get cut off in traffic and you blow your gasket. I mean, really. You yell, you say a lot of things you would never say to them in person because you're behind these nice four walls. Maybe, even though you're in church today, maybe you give them a nice little gesture that you're not too proud of, and it ruins your whole day. You get cut off in traffic and you lose it. The question you have to ask is why? Why would something so small cause us such an extreme reaction? What was it about having to tap your brakes for half a second that caused you to totally melt down? And I'm laughing because I've been there. Maybe it was because you were looking down at your phone at the time. And you really didn't want to have to tell that story and feel like an idiot over and over again. Maybe you were running late to work and what you really wanted to do was to beat everyone into the office to show that you were enough to earn the accolades and the pats on the back that you're yearning for. Maybe because you felt powerless. There was nothing you could do in that situation. You were totally out of control. And after what happened to you, you never want to feel that way again. It's in the moments of our sin where we have the opportunity not just to pick off the fruit. Like, yeah, don't get angry, of course. Don't be cursing people out on the roads. That's a good rule of thumb. But it's by asking these deeper questions that we can actually begin to identify the root of that sin in our lives and actually fix our hearts. After, and after we find what the roots of that sin is, we can actually begin to pull those out simply by speaking gospel truth to those deeply held beliefs. Because remember, the fruit of your life is no accident. Our behavior is determined by our beliefs. And underneath every single sin, underneath every single fear, anxiety, or worry, behind it all is a belief about yourself or about God that needs to be relearned. That's the hard work of sanctification. I'll give you a story to give an example. Unfortunately, I just recently talked uh, with a friend who had an affair on his wife. And in his shame and guilt, we began a conversation. I asked first the most basic question of how. Like, how did this happen? 
And of course, it began with a little flirtation, maybe a text or two that was a bit on the line. Get a couple drinks at a bar, get alone when your wife's out of town. And there, there's all sorts of places in that timeline where it's like, yeah, that was not a good decision. That was not a good decision. You should have stopped it there. There are so many ways that that affair could have been avoided, but that sequence of events is not where that affair started. And so I asked the next question, not just how, but why? Why did you feel the need to do this? And he answered me with three words, I felt alone. In my marriage, in my life, I felt alone. And and at least this made me feel not alone. (laughs) And the next question I asked him seemed to catch him off guard a little bit. What's so bad about being alone? He didn't know how to answer that question. He's like, what do you mean? Nobody likes being alone, right? I was like, well, being an introvert, I sure as heck do. My wife's out of town. I'm going to go home and take a nice nap after this. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) But I understand what he's saying. But I, I kept pushing, and he had a really hard time answering that question. Like, what's so bad about being alone? So I asked the question, well, when did you first feel alone? And he pointed me back to a little five-year-old boy who watched his dad walk out on him. And then he pointed me back to a six-year-old little boy who now his mom had to work multiple jobs and the only one to watch his two little brothers was himself. And suddenly this feeling of alone began to be a little more real. This feeling of alone, when he felt alone, he felt like nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. I'm on my own in this thing. And suddenly that affair begins to make a little more sense. You see, this affair stemmed from a root of brokenness that came far before this bad decision was made. It all came from this feeling of being alone, which brought him back to this internalized belief that he had since he was a little boy that he wasn't worth loving. And feeling alone highlighted this belief about himself that he wasn't worth loving. And maybe, just maybe, an affair would make him feel not only not alone, but loved. And as the root of this brokenness was exposed, I spoke the truth that he needed as a balm to his open wound. This is the point where we try to unlearn all those destructive and untrue beliefs about ourselves and about God by speaking truth to that delicate part of your soul. So I told him. I told him, I said, you know, I know you don't have a relationship with God right now, but I still believe that God loves you. And he loves him the same after his massive screw-up as he did before it. And that same Jesus who loves him beyond human understanding never left him. And in fact, he was never alone in all those circumstances because God himself had been with him in all of it and was even now calling him into relationship with him. Although everyone else may have seemed to left you, although you may feel alone, God hadn't, so you aren't. And he broke down. It's not like in that moment everything was fixed. He didn't just pray the sinner's prayer, come to know Jesus, and now everything's peachy keen, far from it. 
there's still a mess in his life. He hasn't professed Jesus as Lord, and he still has much to do with the brokenness that's in him. But this is the process that we want to walk through if we want to truly be transformed from the inside out. We uproot our sin by identifying the root of it and preaching the gospel towards it. By finding those beliefs in us that are feeding our sin and by actively fighting against those things by preaching the gospel to ourselves, this is how we change. By believing the truth. By unlearning all those destructive lies that have been told to us. By being firmly rooted, established, and grounded in the person and work of Jesus. This is the way we change. In John 15, 4-5, Jesus says it this way, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to bear the fruit that we see in Galatians 5, if we want to overcome our sins, if we want to, from one degree of glory to another, be formed into the image of Jesus, we need to abide in Christ. So those moments when you're angry because someone wronged you, you remember Jesus, who though he was spitting on, mocked, scorned, and beaten, he did not lash out in anger. And you think about your relationship with God and how many times that you sinned against Him. And He offered you grace. And in those moments, you're tempted to go back to that website. At least it'll help numb out the feeling that you're so unlovable. You remember how Jesus loves us, even to the point of death. God's love, which is so intrinsic and all-encompassing that Romans says that neither life nor death, angels nor demons, nothing in all creation can separate us from that love. When you're tempted to overwork and ignore your family in order to gain respect and status, Maybe because like one, once upon a time you were only accepted when you worked and accomplished and gained. You look back to Jesus, who though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, what Philippians says. Where God himself left heaven, he humbled himself, and he walked the earth so that we could give up on all of our earning and trying and striving and simply be accepted because of his grace not because of anything we've earned. When we're tempted to control everything, maybe either by lording over people or by separating from people entirely, I may be, that second one hits a little too close to home. Because at least if you separate from people, you can protect yourself. When we are tempted to control, remember That God holds us in his hands and nobody can snatch you out of it. The Lord is our rock and our redeemer and he will one day bring justice so I can let go of my need to control things. This is the grand remedy for our sin. To remember the grace of God who loves us, accepts us, knows us, renews us, cares for us, gives us rest, gives us peace, and gives us eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
It's only in this deep abiding in the truth about God will we ever be able to break our habits of sin and relearn all the things that were broken in us. It's only through trusting in what he has done for us and trusting in who he is and trusting in who he says we are. It's only by soaking in that truth, saturating in that truth, letting that truth sink so down deep in you. It's like very a part of the bones of your body, like it's a part of you. It's only by abiding in Christ that we can change. And this is why we take communion every week, because we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of these things. We need to remember our sin, to confront it, to be honest about it, and dig down deep and allow the truth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the truth of, about us being a new creation in him. We need that all the time. It's not like you're going to walk out of this church and be like, oh, Jesus loves me. Everything's good. Now we got it. No. It's a lifetime of relearning. It's a lifetime of preaching the gospel to yourself. It's a lifetime of digging, unearthing the roots, and believing the truth. This is why we take communion every week, because we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of these things. And we've all tried the other strategy, haven't we? We've all tried to make ourselves better. We've all tried with white knuckles to become more like Jesus. And over and over and over again, we failed. But when we come to the table of communion, we remember that as followers of Jesus, we don't hang our head and pout whenever we screw up. No, we come running into the gracious arms of Jesus who offers you this morning grace and forgiveness, but also through the power of his Holy Spirit uh, gives us an opportunity to overcome our sin by allowing him to speak to us in the deepest, most vulnerable parts of our soul about who you are. And it's only then can we be like what is described in Psalm 1, a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. This is the way we change, by confronting the roots of our sin and preaching the gospel towards it. And doing communion every week gives us an opportunity to slowly relearn the truth that has the power to change us. This is our hope, that God died for us while we were still sinners, but also through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome our sin to rip out the destructive roots in our lives and become fruitful people bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.